Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by those who listen and by Lee Toyota of Topsum, featuring the new all-electric Toyota BZ4X, available for test drives. LeeToyota.com. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Kevin Miller, Maine Public State House correspondent, and I'm joined by my colleague, Chief Political Correspondent Steve Missler. So, Steve, we got a glimpse this week of what could be one of the bigger policy debates in the legislature this session. And unlike some of the culture war issues we see popping up in Augusta and around the country, or even the battles over polarizing issues like abortion, this one really seems to have the potential to impact a huge number of workers here in Maine. So I guess uh, let's start by explaining what we're talking about here, and that's paid family and medical leave. Right. And paid family and medical leave is when a worker needs to take time off to deal with a personal or family medical issue. And right now, federal law allows employees to take that time off for those reasons, but the time off is not paid. And for that reason, there's been a push to create a system where workers can be compensated while they're away from the job. And that push has mainly come at the state level because this issue has stalled in Congress. And what we're seeing in the legislature right now is an example of one of those state-level campaigns. So just a few examples of situations where someone might want to use paid leave. An obvious one is if someone in your family is diagnosed with terminal cancer or another disease that requires a lot of home care, or perhaps a family member is seriously injured and needs constant care. Right. It could also be parental leave after the birth of a child or maybe to care for a close relative, as you just pointed out, battling a terminal or debilitating illness. Now, we already have a federal law on the books, as you said, and that entitles you to essentially a leave of absence for up to 12 weeks with some guarantee that your job would still be there, but you're not getting a paycheck during that time. And there are about a dozen states that have enacted paid family medical leave laws, including all of our New England neighbors except Vermont at this point. But the specifics vary from state to state, right? Right. And we don't have a lot of specifics about the main proposal. We, have, we know that it will be based at least somewhat off of a report from a special commission that, would, that engaged in a pretty lengthy stakeholder process to produce some recommendations. Among those recommendations are up to 12 weeks of paid leave for what they're loosely describing as a qualifying need. That will need to be defined by lawmakers. Paying for the program, and this is key, will be done by workers and employers through a payroll tax. What hasn't been decided yet, and also in the hands of the legislature, is that split between worker and employer. And that will be part of the negotiations among lawmakers as well. They'll also have to decide what size businesses will be affected by this policy. And I believe the commission report recommended that businesses with 15 employees or more, which is actually a pretty small number of businesses in this state. So the legislature is supposed to get this bill in the next couple of weeks or months. We're on legislative time, so you never know. And that will set off what could be lengthy negotiations with businesses and workers' advocates and Republicans and Governor Mills about how to make this work for everyone, if such a thing is possible. Uh, But I guess I'd say there's a political wrinkle here, right? Or maybe it's a political sledgehammer that's hanging over the legislature? Yeah, a wrinkle, a sledgehammer. I mean, one business lobbyist described it to me as a gun to their head. In any case, this pursuit of paid family and medical leave is taking two tracks. One is this legislative proposal, which we've been talking about, and the other is a ballot initiative that will uh, likely be launched if the legislative effort fails. The ballot initiative is the gun or the sledgehammer, and that's because it's being pushed by progressive advocacy groups 
that have been successful in the past in getting voters to approve initiatives that are blocked in the legislature. Those include hiking the minimum wage and also Medicaid expansion. So now what you have is the possibility that paid family leave could take a similar route. And if that happens, there's a good chance the proposal at the ballot box will be much more generous to workers and more painful to employers than anything that might come out of the legislature on a bipartisan basis. Right. And the groups that we're talking about here, one of them is the Maine People's Alliance, which is very experienced on ballot initiative campaigns, including the minimum wage one that you mentioned. And it seems that lawmakers are fully aware of that prospect or that threat. I do know that that pressure is out there, and it has brought some people to the table to have conversations. I think it definitely sets a timeline, but I think it's a reminder of why the work we do here in the committee process and the public oversight and the public input is so important. So that was Senator Maddie Daughtry, who's a Brunswick Democrat. She helped lead the commission, whose recommendations will likely pretty much form the backbone of that bill whenever it comes out. But it seems like the big challenge will be getting the business community on board, which is definitely key to getting any Republicans on board. But it also might be important to gaining Governor Mills' support. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the business groups are framing this as one of the biggest issues they'll engage in this session. They're acutely aware of the ballot initiative threat, which they're prepared to fight if necessary. But it might not come to that. I mean, one of the more interesting dynamics that gets lost sometimes is that the governor has shown some deference to the business community in her first term. And, you know, we're early in her second one, so we're not quite sure if she'll continue that trend. But she's made a concerted effort not to alienate business groups. And that could be an important factor here. Uh, In some ways, Governor Mills might be their business lobby's best hope for getting a favorable outcome in the legislature. And that's because if the governor vetoes a family leave bill because it goes too far in, in her view, that's going to put pressure on legislative Democrats, especially those with constituencies affected by a leave proposal. I would just add here that the governor has supported paid family leave. In fact, she sponsored and signed a bill a couple years ago that created paid sick leave. But so far, she has been expressing concern that anything that comes out this year has to be workable for the business community. Right. And that that bill you talked about from 2019, she wrote that bill basically on her own. What I've heard from staff and other people or just legislators mostly is that she actually went to the law library and started pulling books. And she obviously has taken an interest in this. And and at the time, the business groups were very thankful that she had done that. That's another example of how the business groups kind of see her as an ally in fights like this. And we do have examples of Governor Mills taking positions that aren't popular with the left wing of her party and vetoing bills that the business community opposed. Of course, if they don't get it done in the legislature, the Maine People's Alliance and the Maine Women's Lobby have made it clear that they'll try to send it to the voters in a referendum question. And we have some examples of how Maine voters have been more willing, as you mentioned, than the legislature to pass things that have a more populist appeal. And I'm thinking of issues like minimum wage hikes, legalizing marijuana, instituting ranked choice voting here. All of those issues were tried in the legislature, but ultimately only became law at the ballot box. Yeah, and and those populist proposals have done well with voters in recent years in particular. And this one could certainly fall into that category, although I do wonder if there's any ballot initiative fatigue with Maine voters. There's been so many over the last few years. So we'll have to wait and see if that's the case this time, if it ends up at the ballot box. As we said, a paid leave could be one of the bigger policy debates this year, but I think the most important thing that the legislature has to do this session is pass a budget. It's not exactly exciting stuff, but 
state budget touches all aspects of life here in Maine. And if we don't have a budget by July 1st, then state government shuts down. We've had the governor's budget proposal in hand for about a month now, but she's going to make her public pitch again next week, right? Right. On Valentine's Day, Kevin, which, what says I love you more than outlining a plan to spend $10.3 billion? Um, Well, I'm kidding, of course. But yes, the governor will basically make her public push for her budget proposal next Tuesday. And as you mentioned, it's about a month after it was first released. We've both covered uh, quite a few of these budget addresses by now from multiple governors. Uh, What do you think? Is she going to break any new news here, or is this more filling in the details? Well, I mean, I think it's tough to make news on a proposal that's that's been public for so long, but my guess is that she'll focus on some aspects of the budget that haven't received a lot of attention. She might even highlight some budget adjacent initiatives that you would more often see in, say, a state of the state address. Um, And I think the governor does have some incentive to make some news. Otherwise, she runs the risk of Republicans sort of commandeering the post-speech discussion, which they would use potentially to, you know, talk about the need for tax cuts or some other priority of theirs. And I think it's in the governor's interest to have the GOP and the press reacting to her as opposed to the other way around. And speaking of speeches... President Biden gave a pretty big one this week in D.C. As is tradition, members of Congress can typically invite special guests, and they often make statements in doing so. Congresswoman Shelley Pingree invited Maine CDC Director Dr. Narav Shah, who will actually soon be leaving his post up here in Maine, to take over as second-in-command at the U.S. CDC. But Congressman Jared Golden invited Penobscot Nation Chief Kirk Francis. And this was an intriguing choice uh, because I believe this was the first time, at least in a long time, that a tribal chief from Maine was invited to attend the State of the Union address. Yeah, it was an intriguing choice, but I also think it made some sense because Golden has taken such a keen interest in tribal issues in Maine. He was the original sponsor of the bill that would have allowed uh, Wabanaki tribes to benefit from future federal laws affecting other federally recognized tribes. Right now, they can't do that because of this 1980 uh, Land Claim Settlement Act that, in their view, has really hamstrung some of their economic self-determination. Now, that bill failed in Congress, but I think tribal leaders see that they have an ally in the 2nd Congressional District. And Chief Francis used his guest appearance to urge President Biden to work with Native communities as part of his Made in America initiative. And that's something that Golden supports. So, There was a confluence of mutual interests here. That was Steve Missler, Maine Public's chief political correspondent. And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. A reminder that you can subscribe to The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at mainepublic.org slash pulse. I'm Kevin Miller, and we'll have more analysis next week on Maine's Political Pulse. 